0: hello everyone and welcome to episode 7 of the hunt and fish bums podcast i am bob calentary on the line we have garrett thomas and carlos ferrero today's topic is gonna be about dog training but before we get into that um just want to congratulate garrett on drawing an awesome archery elk tag in new mexico unfortunately uh carlos and i came up uh Came up empty-handed. Did not draw any tags. My dad did draw a Barbary sheep tag, um, so that'll be uh, that'll be fun joining him on that. But I personally did not get anything. And Garrett, you got to be excited to be heading back to uh, back to where it all started, where we first went out on our first uh, archery hunt out west.
1: Yeah, super stoked. Um, if anyone listened to podcast one, it's in the same spot, so we know, you know, basically where the elk are. Hopefully, they haven't. Changed uh, locations too much, but I'm full on uh, training and shooting, and pretty pretty pumped about it.
0: Nice, nice. And, and Carlos, you uh, after shooting a hole through your blind, you ended up knocking another arrow and, and smoking a pretty big uh, pretty big gobbler today. So congrats on your uh, turkey from this morning.
2: Thank you. Yep, it was a good hunt. It was a long worn out hunt but we'll get into that another day for sure but we'll put
0: some <laughs> we'll put some pictures and videos up uh i hear the video of the arrow hitting off a blind is pretty epic so uh, oh, looking forward to looking forward to posting that we'll put that up on the hunt Fish Bums instagram page when uh when we finish
2: editing <laughs> the miss was amazing <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right so rolling into today we're kind of going to continue on the the last podcast we did about dog training and I uh, wanted to kind of get into more detail about Garrett's dogs because he does have a, uh, you know, a kennel going. He's got a couple different breeds of dogs. So, Garrett, why don't you tell us about uh, what you have because especially your... Actually, I would say the the two most recent dogs he got are not very common out in the woods. And, you know, a lot of people probably haven't even heard of them.
1: Yeah, my uh, oldest dog is two. So, I have three dogs in training two of my own so i have you know a lot of dogs in the same age group which ideally you don't really want you kind of want to space them out more but um my oldest dog's brocco italiano and um i've been working with her for two years i got her from an excellent breeder he's um great i talked to him i'm still talking to him quite a bit and actually looking to uh to breed her here shortly um i think i'm where i want to be with her training um i don't think i'm going to go a whole lot farther um we'll talk about navda later but um i just na tested her i don't think i'm going to get her to the ut test which is the next level um the second oldest dog is uh weimer honor i got from michigan out of some really great lines um i na tested her and um she did very, very poorly at the NA test, but she is actually a really good hunter. So, you know, we can talk about that too, as far as how accurate the N the NA test or Navda what is, what is. is.
0: Real quick, don't mean to interrupt, but what is the NA test? What does that stand for?
1: Um, natural ability. Okay. And and if for those of you that don't even know Navda, it's the North American Versatile Hunting Dog Association. So what they are is a group that takes all these gun dog breeds that do multiple things like English pointer would not be in there because it's just an upland dog, but it takes, you know, the versatile breeds, GSPs, the wire hairs, the, those are the most common versatile, but I think there's 15 or so different breeds and it, it's a registry of its own and you do testing through there. And there's like three levels of testing. Um, maybe four if you count the invitational there's a na natural ability that's level one and then there's the uh upt which is utility preparatory then there's utility you the ut and then if you get a perfect score on utility you get invited to the invitational which is once a year where the best dogs are there so that's navda um so and my youngest dog is a poodle pointer. And he's he probably has the most potential to do well in Navda. I'm not saying one way or the other whether he'll be the best dog that I have hunting dog, but I think he has the potential because I think he can hit all the the categories if I if I do the right training, he can hit all the categories needed to score well.
0: And you had mentioned to me, you know, off the podcast that uh which surprised me that the poodle pointers typically do very well in those competitions compared to compared to some of the other breeds.
1: Yeah, that's why I chose the poodle pointer. Um I've had and, and I'm not actually I am knocking on German short hairs because you have one. And I think Carlos, you have one too, so I can I can knock on both of you. But <laughs> They're I think they're the they are the, they're the best I mean if you want a dog that you don't have to really go out and research the lines you I would feel confident if a neighbor called down the road and said, "Hey, I got a German short hair. I hunt with it a little bit. it had a litter of pups. Do you want one you know and if I wasn't particular about dog breeds or whatever I would say if you get that dog, it's gonna be a damn good dog, and it's you know gonna going to do what you want for hunting and and that's why the gsps are so great because they're so common and they're around however the ones that i've had around my immediate area growing up bit everybody and there's like three different they they weren't even the same bloodlines i had a neighbor across the street two different neighbors um up the up the street and one down the street, and I think they've all bit people and almost bit me. And I just have a stigma in my head where I wasn't going to get GSPs. Now Bob, I've been around Duke, and he's obviously the uh, a very timid dog around people and would never bite anybody. But I kind of had that burn in my head that I was never getting a GSP or a wire hair. One of them had wire hairs, so I kind of ruled the common one, the common good ones out, and went with a. A poodle pointer, which has a lot of the same abilities. Um, A little bit better in the house. They don't shed, and their temperament's a little bit better on average. And there aren't many bad ones. And that that was what I really went with. I mean, there are a lot of non-hunting GSPs and wire hairs, just because there's so many of them. The poodle pointer... Uh, breed is very controlled there's only i don't know a couple thousand in the united states and they're pretty much all nav detested registered you know the guys that get them are going to hunt with them so that's why i want the boodle pointer.
0: and you're uh you're pretty happy with it so far right things are going well
1: yeah extremely happy I had a couple issues with hard mouthing i i uh took a lot of steps and i think i have that that pretty well under control we'll see this summer when we start shooting some more birds over him but he's uh he's coming along great yeah
0: i'm just i'm i'm glad he is and i hope he comes along pretty quickly because uh i'm excited to to run him next to some german shorthair so he can see how a real dog real hunting dog works you know <laughs> maybe maybe yeah. learn from like a real breed um you know but hey whatever floats your boat man you want to run around with like a decked out poodle that's uh that's your opinion that's uh all good for you man we'll uh we'll put them we'll put them up against the line against some short hairs here soon but nah. yeah i
1: shave everything but the head and the tail <laughs> <laughs> nah
0: man i'm just messing with you because you're knocking german short hairs so i gotta i gotta send some well, uh, they send some shade
1: people i said they're awesome dogs they just bit it <laughs> dude they they don't
0: like weak people When they see like weak people they like to bite them they're like man up yeah, you like, know they so, a little like, alpha
1: it was little girls
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man i don't duke wouldn't bite but i know he peed on your leather jacket right in front of us and we're both like <laughs> yeah. and we both just
1: kind of were like did
0: that just happen did he just lift his leg up and just piss all over your leather
1: jacket but <laughs> Uh, the bad part about that I was wearing a fucking leather jacket
0: <laughs> No, man I'm pretty sure you forgot the next morning too and put it on But that's a, that's a whole different story <laughs> um, So anyway, uh, back to the poodle pointer Which uh, obviously I'm just messing around I've heard they're great dogs as well uh, What did you do to uh, Well, first off, let's take a step back Before we get into how you broke its hard mouth Because um, I want to kind of provide some not just theoretical topics, but what did you actually do so some listeners can kind of do the same thing or at least try it to see if it works for them, if they have similar issues. But before we get to that, why don't you talk about some of the issues you're having with... Because uh, I know you had a pretty heated conversation with the breeder of that poodle pointer. So uh, kind of bring everyone up to speed on what's going on there.
1: Yeah, I'll try to make a extremely long story, medium long. So... Um, when I found this breeder, I talked to him. Everything seemed to be on the up and up, and he's a actually a well renowned breeder in Beasles, and not so much in Poodle pointers. So, you know, I had him send me the lines, and I checked them out, and I was more than happy because when you look at these Navda lines, you can see the the dogs Navda scores, and there was a lot of versatile champions in the in the dogs' lines, and the parents seemed great. I mean, everything right down to the line with the dog seemed. Seemed really uh, good. So, you know, me and my wife drove to Kentucky, other end of Kentucky to get it. Brought a couple dogs home with us because a couple people from Pennsylvania were getting them out of the same litter. And, I mean, it was just a great experience. And then uh, right about three months goes by, and I keep calling this guy and asking him, you know, when's he going to send the papers? I want to get him registered because I want to start prepping him for the to test. And basically, he blew me off for about eight months, and then I finally got a hold of him after, like, he had a litter of Vislas online, and I, my wife and I just started barraging his Facebook, like, oh, yeah, you can sell, sell other dogs, but you can't contact the people that paid an absorbent amount of money for your poodle pointer. So, once that pressure was applied, he finally called me, and... Basically said he bred the dog, did not know that Giannis's uh, sire was on a breed restriction. Until that dog passed a utility NAVDA test, it was not allowed to be bred. So, he
0: thought... And Giannis is your dog.
1: Giannis is my dog, correct. So, Giannis's sire, which was... The, this breeder's dog had to supposedly pass a UT test for is allowed to be bred, but it's a little late now. So he was trying to hurry up and get that dog tested, and then I think not tell anybody. And then, and then once the dog's tested, he'll get him papers. Well, he sent him to a professional breeder because I don't think he does any dog training on his own, or a professional trainer, not a professional breeder. And um, here we are. He's uh, just turned a year old like a week or two ago. And the professional trainer thinks that the dog isn't ready for the UT test in the spring. Hopefully, we will be in the fall. But Giannis' dad was bred way too young. And, I mean, these were things that I guess I took kind of for granted. I'm not even sure how a wary customer would really look into that more because... The breeder basically hid all this from me and wanted to get rid of the puppies and get full price for him. So I'm kind of upset about that because I can't get them uh, nav to tested and I can't. You know, I'm starting a kennel, so that kind of sucks. If I had a good dog, I would like to be studding them out, or it'd also be good just to have him score well for the name of the kennel. But here I am. Maybe, maybe this will work out if he, if the dad, scores good in the fall. Yannis will have his papers, and maybe I'll be able to UT test on so, so
0: they'll let him retroactively get the papers if the dog passes after the fact?
1: Correct. However, the NA test has to be done within 16 months of the dog being born. That's already out of the question.
0: So you can't get Yannis NA tested? Correct. All right. Well, that kind of sucks. Yeah. And, and Navdo will not let you use Yannis unless it has the papers.
1: Correct. Hmm.
0: I don't know how I feel about that, but that's fine. I guess that's the rules.
1: Um Well I mean what what's the point of a breed restriction if you can just take any dog there? The the breed <laughs> restriction is it.
0: specific to
1: Navda? Yes. Navda's like the AKC. They have their own registry.
0: Oh, okay. So it's not like so. the uh the bird dog challenge that we used to do. It's not something like that. <laughs>
1: No, you could take your uh, little chihuahua there if you wanted to. I got you.
0: Because, yeah, because I didn't care about papers. I mean, Duke's, you know, I could have got his papers, at least through the AKC, and I never did because, I don't know, I never planned on breeding him, and uh, I just wanted him to hunt, so I never really even cared to to get the papers, whether that's smart or dumb, I don't know, but uh, that's what I did. So that's why, like, when you're talking about Giannis not having papers, I'm like, well, is that really that big of a deal? But I guess if you want to, you know, start in a kennel and want to get them NAVDA tested, it sounds like it sure is because uh, they're going to limit you from that, that angle anyway.
1: Yeah, and a lot of the stuff I talk about as far as dog training or going to talk about is kind of geared toward, like, training for NAVDA and training for an all-around dog that a normal hunter would never use. Um and i'm probably never going to be use it to be honest with you but the fun of it is now more the nav testing and training dogs to see what they can do and use their natural ability more so than just what i'm going to use it if that makes sense
0: yeah absolutely so let me uh switch gears here now so you, you mentioned breaking uh Giannis from hard mouth and some birds. So why don't you uh, why don't you tell us what that is and and how you broke Giannis? At least what worked for you?
1: Okay, uh, my first Weimer honor, Clint had a hard mouth, and I'm sure you remember seeing him chomping on doves and sometimes eating it before they even he even brought them back to you.
0: He ate a whole grouse once, didn't he?
1: Yeah, he ate three grouse at one time with no breasts in it. It was just <laughs> wings, head, and feet and skeleton and they puked it up on my kitchen floor like two days later thank god
0: <laughs> and I think we already told the story about all the doves we did yeah okay it, I oh there's
1: you. tons of stories <laughs> we, we can throw in a good client story every uh every podcast <laughs> but he was a hard mouther and I didn't do anything to break him because he really only did it to the smaller birds like doves I mean how much can you mangle a pheasant I mean you can if you're not if the dog isn't coming back but what Clinton would do was be actively coming back to me and chomping on it. He wasn't like stopping and and mangling it up, minimizing so, the damage, yeah, so as a hunter, like what I just kind of talked about before, before I was worried about much, I'm like, well, I'll just run up to him and get the bird and I mean it was it was minimal damage most of the time. He ate a couple of doves, but whatever so but now i'm 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 looking for a little higher level training. One of the first quail that I shot out of a trap was Giannis. Um, I've been having it on my Instagram page. Maybe we can post it. I uh, you know, walk right up. He has a nice hard point. I have the uh, the lead. I'm holding the lead and shoot the bird at the same time, and he still holds his point, and then I release him. And as he's coming back, I see him just mangling the hell out of this thing. And you know, he's only like six months old, and I'm like, son of a bitch. I, he's, he's got a hard mouth. So right then I, I stopped. And I think to any, anyone who has a dog that's a young puppy that's doing that to birds, the most important thing is stop shooting birds immediately over him and do some some techniques to try to get them to stop. And I've heard of some all kind of crazy techniques. But um, people wrapping ducks in barbed wire or quail in barbed wire, you know, so it, it hurts the dog when there's pressure. Um, I, I've never done that. I've heard that what,
0: one, too. That's like an old-school method I think I've heard uh, some of the old-timers tell me.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, without even trying it, my first thought is good luck trying to get the dog to even pick it up. <laughs> but maybe some dogs will. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I think, it, I think uh, you know, it's kind of... A little bit of genetics, too, because Duke was just lucky, nothing to do with training, but he always just had a soft mouth. I Oh, never... well, for
1: sure. For sure, genetics. 100% genetic trait. Yeah. Um, but I think you can train around it. And, I mean, force-fetching is the way to do it. And I, I was interested in force-fetching because I've never done a full regimented force-fetching training, and I wanted to do it. Uh, and I started to do it, but I I kind of – I did, well, I guess, what you're not supposed to do, and I kind of switched gears in the middle of it. I shouldn't say what I did was harmful by any means, but I went to, like, more of a much more rigorous holding carry, which means, you know, saying fetch, making sure every time I say fetch, something goes into his mouth, and he has to put that in his mouth every time I say fetch. And then dropping – dropping a bumper you know piece of pipe beer can whatever dropping it down saying fetch and he has to put it in his mouth right away there's there's no other choice but i abandoned the ear pinching and the collar the collar because it just i wasn't getting as good as results from that as i was with more positive but still forcing forcing the fetch every time and, and i did that with a, a wide variety of objects and i think that's kind of what made what cured the hard mouth is him having to pick up beer cans and um, really soft things i mean I'm, you name it i've had him pick it up hairbrushes toothbrushes um, how did you force stuffed animals
0: when you're saying you forced but, them how how would you Force him to pick those things
1: up or was well, it just him well here's the key I have a whole entire pocket full of treats like do- like hot dogs and-, and table scraps that he never gets that he loves ok so, so at first I force him by saying fetch and if he doesn't put it in his mouth I pry open his mouth with my fingers which you probably know how to do on a dog just squeeze their back gums and their mouth pops open shove it in his mouth, and then say, good boy, good boy, and then I give him a treat. And then by the third time, then he stops even, and I, I shouldn't say he did stop. Not every going can do this, but by the third time, he stopped keeping his jaw shut and w- would openly open up his jaw and put whatever I told him to put in his mouth because he's a very intelligent dog. I think he's more so than any other dog I've had and realized in order to get a treat he's got to put this in his mouth and then i went to the ground and i went to throwing it and i would make him hold it and walk him around on heel then i would walk around him on heel and shoot guns and bang things on the floor and and i just kept upping the level of of what he had to keep in his mouth until he just started doing it and then you know i had some pigeons die on me one way or another <laughs> And I, would, I I threw them out in the yard and made him retrieve them, and he didn't hard mouth any of them as of you know a couple weeks ago.
0: Nice. So that's a good, pretty good transition.
1: Yeah, it's just it's just and it and I say that like it it took like a week. That's like six months. You know, every every week taking a new step. Some new steps very fast. Some take months.
0: And just, and Carlos, I know you had mentioned. Uh what you guys did with your police dogs right trying to get them to bite the sleeves it was kind of more along the what garrett started to do and then kind of kind of backed out real quick what do you uh not that everyone's training police dogs but it is a technique um real quick what would you kind of talk about or how would you set that up it was like applying pressure to their to their feet right and then they would open their mouth and you'd put the sleeve in like the bite sleeve in their mouth something to that yeah that's
2: yeah, it's one of the first steps. You know, you just tie like a like a half hitch knot and you pull put a little pressure as soon as they open up their mouth, you introduce the object, praise, reward, and then just eventually whatever command you're going to use, we use hold. Um I even use that with my hunting dog, hold it, and they hold it and it's the same thing. Then you give them whatever command that you're going to give to have them release. Um but it's it's very similar to what he did, but it's a it's at a f- very fast pace um and the first thing we always introduce, which is the hardest thing for a dog, is metal objects. Um, so once they learn how to mouth a metal object, then we'll introduce you know the other objects we need them to bite and hold in theory
0: Oh, so you don't you don't start with the bite sleeve then
2: no oh, okay mm-hmm. they use they use a wedge. Um, but if, if the dog could bite a screwdriver or anything metal, he's going to bite a sleeve. You know, it's just, it's all about feeling in their mouth. Um, they have very sensitive gums and teeth and stuff like that. And I think the same thing applies to, I consider a, a hunting dog, a working line because they, they, they all come from that genetic hunt line, whether it's a police dog or it's a sport dog. Um, that's my opinion, but I mean, I'm no expert in labeling dogs or um, but that's how we do
0: it. Yeah. And, and, and talking, listen to both your stories. Cause obviously from my experience, I had, I didn't have to worry about that. And, you know, my dad's dog, which would be the most, you know, recent dog that I've been working with is, uh, is one that kind of would retrieve fine around the house, just not really out in the field until he started building his confidence. So he worked it harder and harder around the house until he built that confidence. So so what you guys are going through is not something I have experience with, but both of it kind of sounds like two different, uh, two similar concepts, but two different ways of getting to the same thing, forcing the dog to, to fetch and rewarding him so that he understands, oh, this is what we need to do and, and this works. So sounds like some good methods that people can – can try to you know if they're having a similar issue with them hard mouthing or not wanting to pick up a bird so mm-hmm. it should be uh should be pretty effective so all is well now so far garrett no more issues no more uh no more hard mouthing
1: no in fact in a matter of just a couple weeks he went from not picking up when I w- when I was using the pinch the ear method some people use the toe I was using the ear and uh, so I got such negative results with it he just he just kept refusing, and, it, and it, it got to be not fun for me anymore is why Is why I quit. I hear that you're supposed to, you know, fight through that period of him refusing and, you know, not let him, him win, in air quotes. But uh, when, since I, I gave it up and went to the more positive, he went from not even putting a bumper in his mouth when I wanted to into going right into, like, a beer can and... In the same week I taught him to go over to a cooler, open up the cooler, get a beer can out and bring it to me. I saw that video. Yeah. <laughs> but so I think he's that's, a very trainable dog.
0: Yeah, I think that's that goes back to like step number one, like read your dog. You know what I mean? Every dog is yeah. different. What what works right. for you dog. is not gonna work for you know, Carlos's dog might not work for my dog and vice versa. You know. If it works, great, continue it. If it's if it's going negative and not working uh, it's time to switch tactics.
1: You're right, because I think Absolutely. when I'm younger, if when, like when I was younger trying to train Clint, I think since I read all this about ear pinching and wh- and whatever, and I I talked to a whole bunch of people, I think I just would have kept trying it unsuccessfully, and then me got pissed, and the dog just probably would have never got the point. But I think that's what's actually making me a better dog trainer, is I know just when to... I know when's when, what's enough, what the dog can handle, and it uh, worked out well for me.
2: Yep, it's all about the right pressures at the right time and knowing, knowing the animal. You know, mm-hmm. That's uh, my opinion.
0: Yeah, the, the problem I think people run into, and, and this isn't just with dog training, this is with everything, is one person might have had found success one way, And they're going to tell you, this is the only way, this is what you got to do, it works every time. And for anything, I don't think that's the case. You know, it's like, uh, I know for me, for skeet shooting, you know, when people would be like, oh, you got to do it this way, you got to do it, I'd listen, I'd respectfully say, yeah. But in my mind, I'm like, that's not going to work for me, that's not how I shoot, I'm not going to do it. I'm sure, Carlos, you get advice all the time that you kind of just, like, nod your head at and, and are like, yeah, okay, maybe. Some of it good. Some of it you might just kind of listen and respectfully say great but not really, uh, you know, implement it. And same with dog training. I know there's people Absolutely. like, you got to do it this way. This is the only way to do it. This is what I did with my dog. Yeah, with your dog. My dog it's is like different.
2: We, you know, it's like we spoke about earlier. The more tools you have in the toolbox, the better product you're going to get. Uh, that's uh correct. that's how so, i feel that you're you evolve as a trainer and then you gain experience with other dogs um if you're regimented in one way and one way only it's not i, I don't think it's going to work out well for you every time
0: <laughs> correct and that's kind of what we're here telling you is uh, what worked for us and what didn't so feel free to try as you please but uh if someone if someone tells you there's only one way to do it, and this is the way to do it, kind of be cautious of uh, what they say next. So,
1: and also try to take into account how many different types of dogs they've trained. Yeah, because a lot of people that have been, trained three or four dogs probably were the same breed and probably from the same line. So you know what works for them is working for those dogs because they have similar traits and they're similar dogs um it's when you if you find a real professional hunting dog trainer you can pretty much trust everything that they say because they've been they've been around it all and they probably aren't going to tell you specific things that work and don't because not a whole lot of those exist specific things that you can do but when you find uh the guys that at a hunting competition giving you a little tricks here and there, that's what you have to take with a grain of salt. It might work, but yeah. And, and
0: and if you have access to a professional dog trainer, yeah, you know, that's a great resource to go to. If you don't, like Garrett said, be wary of the, uh, the weekend warrior that, uh, is telling you, you got to do something just their way. Definitely be open to other options, other opinions. Like for example, I am sure the things that I did to train Duke, an extremely high energy German short hair pointer that is absolutely insane and out of his mind, uh, especially when he was a puppy. And I'm sure, you know, the Garrett and I can talk story after story about uh, uh, some of the ridiculous things he's done is going to be totally different than you and your brocco because i look at your brocco and that dog couldn't be more opposite of duke in my opinion i've never hunted with her but just like her personality just seems completely laid back and way more calm than a german short hair pointer so what works for one is probably not going to work for
1: that breed she's bipolar in the best way (laughs) when she when she's here she's nothing but a sweetie you'd think she's a golden retriever that doesn't know how to hunt when she's around the house cuz she just you know very calm she'll l- lay around not not chew things up and then when she knows she's hunting you, i can't i can't slow her down yet i mean she's pretty young so i think yeah. that's good i like when they're they're too hard or too ham too hammering when they're younger cuz i feel like by the time they're hit like 4 to 8 they're going to be they're going to be hitting that perfect range once they mature a little bit and figure some things out. So I'm, I'm excited for her.
0: Yeah, I think like five to six years old is like prime, and they just get better and better every year. Unfortunately, I feel like their body gives up, you know, at least with yeah. Duke, I couldn't even. I mean, when he was like 10 and 11, I mean, the things he were do, he, he did was just amazing. And unfortunately, I could only hunt him for like a half day. Otherwise, he'd be you know on the couch barely able to move for the next uh two weeks
1: isn't it so much better though to hunt with a dog that just is like excellent and you know you have to watch watch their health then hunt with a dog can hunt all day and they're just (laughs) out of freaking control i'll take that old dog any day (laughs) and right now i have three dogs under two so yeah you got a bunch of them man
0: yeah you just got to you got to let them run in your field for about an hour before you actually take them hunting, then throw them in the truck and then go. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. so, so anyway, I want to kind of transition over to, uh, to nabbed a little bit cause it's something I know nothing about. And I am, uh, I am curious and intrigued about how that goes and kind of comparing it to the bird dog challenge. Cause I know we used to compete back in the day and, uh, and do the bird dog challenge and basically, I don't even know if it still exists. It was something that that was, you know, around Pennsylvania. I think Garrett and I traveled to Ohio, and uh, I don't know if we went to, like, West Virginia or somewhere. We, We traveled to a couple competitions, but basically they would put out three birds, and it was timed. You'd get points for how quickly you finished, and if you shot all three birds. So basically, you know, if you had to use six shells and someone else only had to use three shells, they got more points, and if they finished ahead of you they got more points that way but as far as what the dog did the only thing i recall that they cared about is that it came to a point what happened after that didn't matter once it pointed then uh, you know you could flush the bird or it could flush the bird or whatever as long as it came to a point there was uh you know really no no issues or no point deduction so um obviously navda does not have uh the shooting aspect but kind of what do they what do they look for what are some of these tests and what are they scoring for
1: um yeah we can go back to that bird dog challenge later because i think there were some other things involved but i, I do want to talk about navda first and and how much different it is it navda is not a competition um everything's a competition it, garrett yeah. <laughs> well, that's why I like the bird dog challenge because I believe I beat you. But Navda <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah, you did. You did. He beat me.
1: <laughs> what what's good about Navda is the um it's it's just trained professionals spending about an hour with your dog and judging a whole lot of aspects of your dog. And I'm going to go into this, a couple specifics here real quickly, but the downside of that is it's one day. Um, so if your dog, if your dog is off, like I recently experienced my dog, my, my Weimaraner, my mom's, my Weimaraner that I'm training. I mean, I've never had a more natural dog point and, and, and do the water and, and track and do everything that I wasn't even worried at all. And I and I showed up to this NAVDA natural ability and she didn't point one time. And I think it was because it was pouring down rain and there were seven guys following her around and she spent the whole night before at my house, which she was never at, and then drove in a truck for four hours. I mean, I think she was just off. So the fact that it's only one day sucks, but you do get... A, a highly trained group of judges to look at your dog for a day and give you a score so natural ability test that's that's what most people do it's the basic level and the nice thing is it doesn't involve a whole lot of training hence the name natural ability you're just testing the natural abilities of the dog it has to be done before 16 months and there's three sections a field section, a tracking section, and a water section. Um, in the field section, they put five birds out in a field. Um, let the dog go. The uh, judges stay behind you. You walk with them. They shoot a gun a couple times, just to see if it, how uh, you know if the dog shies away or is in gun shy in any way. That's the first test. Just randomly,
0: and, or when a bird flushes. Yep.
1: Nope, just randomly. As soon as they let the dog out and um, they they just fire, they say, are you ready? Yep, like in the first minute or so. They fire two shots. And, you know, in both my situations where I was doing it, Annie, the Bronco, luckily turned on as soon as she heard those gunshots. Because she was walking around pissing. She thought we were just going for a walk. She didn't know there were birds in the field. And then they shot those two shots and she just (laughs) I'm like, okay, thank you for shooting. Because I don't know if she'd have figured it out that there were birds there until she heard the gunshots.
2: Um
1: so there's gun shyness. They score you on use of nose, search, pointing, desire, and cooperation of the dog in the field. Um so when they point, they just have to point. They don't have to sit there and hold it forever. Um, they have to be out in front of you, actively searching for the dog, for the bird, um, and desire and cooperation. I mean that's kind of self-explanatory. Does a dog have a desire to look for the bird? And is the dog? <laughs> I mean, if the dog runs into the next county and flushing every bird and never listens to one thing you say, that's cooperation. Cooperation's very basic in natural ability. That's desire. It's It's a lot of desire. It's not expected. That's too much (laughs) desire and no cooperation. (laughs) Exactly. Um. And then in the tracking thing, they they clip the wing feathers on a pheasant and let it run away. And then you put your dog down. They they watch where the pheasant goes, mentally mark it in their head, and then you put your dog down, and the dog just has to go. Follow that track. doesn't have to come back with the pheasant. It can. doesn't have to. A lot of times if your dog doesn't point in the field search and it goes in tracks and then points on the track when it gets to the bird, you can get some pointing points back from the field search. Um, but that's about it for tracking. And then there's a water section where you throw bumpers in the water and the dog has to swim out and get him. And that's about it. And there's a very complex scoring system, but there's basically prize one, a prize two, prize three, and no prize for for the N.A. test. And I think that's the best test that there is because you can't hide a whole lot in an N.A. test. If you take a dog that's not really bred that well and take it to the best trainer in the world, he's going to score fantastic probably. you can get a dog to do anything if you're a good enough trainer. But the NA test shows, you know, what's in their lines. Which I really like about it.
0: Yeah, I feel like uh I don't know how critical they are on the scoring, but I feel if you have some kind of a decent dog and do pretty pretty well at that. I mean it didn't sound too Well too you'd be surprised crazy.
1: because yeah. <laughs> I mean my my Weimar honor, which is like the, the I have very high hopes because, I mean, she's just fantastic. She works so well. She's so cooperative. And we went there, and she didn't point any of the birds. I mean, the first bird, it was raining. The wind was bad. The first bird, she basically got right on top of before she smelled it and then pounced it and then brought it back to me. And then it was like that was the first bird she ever got in her mouth without, without me shooting it. And she like figured out right then, hey, I can I can catch all these birds myself. Uh, no. And then and then just the whole rest of the time, never <laughs> pointed a bird. She soon as she smelled a bird, she was pouncing them, nabbing them out of the air. And I mean, she just completely failed the whole thing. She did terrible. And she's a great hunting dog. I mean, I got her steady back up with a couple you know launchers and just doing some work with her. But the great hunting dog got a terrible score. Annie scored fantastic. And, you know, at the time, she was very young. I think she took it at like seven months. I didn't know how she was going to do. You know? I just didn't know. And then she went in there and performed fantastically. And I thought Gracie, my mom, were gonna, was going to be fantastic, and it was terrible. So yeah, do like.
0: Sounds like he had a lot of uh, unfortunate circumstances there. I think the uh, the rain and the pouncing on that first bird was just a uh, a pretty pretty bad start, creating bad habits um, that you can't correct at that point in that test. You know what I mean? There's nothing you can do at that point. You just got to keep going with it.
1: Yeah. yeah well, and the, the thing that I liked about it too is I learned enough from when I was younger. I wasn't. Even, I still enjoyed the day. You know, I'm like, this, this is still fun. We're just out here with dogs. I saw a couple of poodle pointers, and I, I knew I, I wanted one of them. And, you know, it was still a great day, and it's great people, great fun. Nobody – it's not a competition, and that's and that's what I really like. Every dog there can score a prize one, or no dog there can get a prize at all. It, it's it's – everybody's on the same side. It, you're not uh, – not trying to out trick the other guy because as much as you like the bird dog competition, I like competition. There's always that thing that is in the back of somebody's head where like, Oh, I, I know what I could tell him to help him out, but I'm not going to because it's a competition. And I hate that. You know, I like, I like wanting to help the next guy for no other reason than just to help him. You know, I don't, I don't like. Kind of like the fly fishing thing we talked about last podcast, where it's a competition. I liked it because it was fun, but I didn't like the fact that if you saw a fish over in a hole, you didn't want to tell anybody about it because <laughs> they were you were you know you were fishing against them, and then that kind of takes away from the whole the whole point of it.
0: Yeah, that nav sounds fun, man. I almost want to. Uh i mean i've been itching to get a new puppy we just don't have the room right now but uh eventually i will get one but that sounds like something i'd like to do go down uh go down the nav the path i guess i'll have to pay attention to the breeders um make sure i got the papers before i get a dog though yeah and carlos i know your dog would do uh pretty well in tracking we we combined your dog and my dad's dog into one we'll be good to go yeah we were uh, yeah we were grouse hunting up north and uh my dad's dog pointed a grouse this thing takes off and i just thought i center punched it i mean i hit the trigger there were feathers everywhere and it hits the ground and my dad's dog wasn't big into the tracking he kind of was confused i mean it was like one of the first birds that ever got shot over him you know uh like wild birds and um he kind of was like smelling and pointing but not wanting to go after. He, he's a very timid dog. He's much better now, but at that point he was very timid, very kind of uh, bird shy a little bit to 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 a certain extent. And then Carlos's little puppy, I forget how old he was at the time. He was
2: four months old.
0: Four months old is just... Mm-hmm. we're we're looking for him looking for him and all of a sudden we turn around and he's got the uh he's got the grouse in his mouth and it was still alive which shocked me because i thought that thing was stone cold dead and it took off running so definitely a good tracker there so
2: yeah i mean i i did a little work with him on that end because i trained him just like i trained my police dog in that same manner so um that that was a plus that's his plus his nose is always buried and he's always you know he's always looking for something
0: yeah you and my dad were talking about that you guys do uh similar things like i know my dad he'll um with the puppies when he'll like barbecue chicken he'll kind of drag it along the ground and and, in the backyard and kind of make a scent trail and uh let the dog out and kind of give him like the find it command and to kind of get him to use his nose and you said you guys use hot dogs you know something similar like with the police dogs right
2: yes yes but i didn't use the hot dog with this dog what i did is i i made a ground disturbance with the the dead chuckers that we killed
0: that's right so uh
2: i I disturbed the ground and dragged the um the chucker in a straight line and i brought the dog to the scent and took the lead and Tucked it up underneath his arm and just applied a little upward pressure to pull his head down. And I gave him, you know, his find it command and kept him on that straight line up until he got to the bird. Then I, you know, just let him jump on the bird and bite the bird and you know just praise them up the whole time. So that's um, that was my little trick that I used with with the police dogs. And I was like, ah, oh, let me see how it works out with hunting dogs. You know, instead of letting the dog use it's heading cast. I just gave it a purpose and a direction of how I wanted him to do it. And he did it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it worked. He found that grouse. He did (laughs) the, uh, I, I have a, I have a pretty good method. I think for tracking, and I know Bob usually get mad at me for not giving specific things, but here's a specific thing. I think people can try and I don't think it can hurt. For tracking so I is it what you did dog... to that
0: is it what you did to that pheasant that one time we were together
1: yes you cut off all the wings and legs and lay it in the field <laughs> <laughs> and then the dog the dog can track it easily because it can't go anywhere. no <laughs> uh so to start I, I just start with um like soup or something just dripping it like i'll drip it through the yard and then and have I keep a heavy supply of frozen dead pigeons or quail because I have the flight pens around here and then putting the bird at the end of it. Once they really realize that bird's a reward, and I keep them on a check cord, you know, and then th- that's the basics of a puppy. But a- after I get past that puppy stage of tracking and they figure out like to follow a line, I have a uh, like a five foot PVC pipe with a string running through it and a pigeon harness on the end. So I take my homing pigeons out of the pen, and I'll just bounce them off the ground for, like, I'll start out at, you know, like 50 yards, and then at the end of that track, I'll throw the dead, a dead frozen pigeon at the end of that track. Now, I do that because I don't want the dog to be running the track and then flushing the bird and then get that confused with like a wild search, you know, a wild flush. I want them to think when you're tracking, there's an injured bird at the end that you're going to find that's either going to be dead or you don't have to point it. So you give them so, different
0: commands then, right?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, for okay. sure. Uh, I give them, that's dead bird. Gotcha. When, the track is dead bird and... You know that obviously the search command is no command. There's hunting, but um, then I'll I'll stretch that out, and and I can have my dogs that now run a track up to a thousand yards, and 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 they'll they'll run that pigeon track the whole way and bring it back to me.
0: Nice. Yeah. So, all great techniques to kind of get them. Introduced to using their nose and tracking. Um, going, going. I want to bring up something because I know that Garrett and I spent a lot of time, and I, you know, I was up at your house and and getting Duke to hold his point even after the shot until I gave him a command to release. And I kind of wanted to bring this up because I know. Uh, you know, just kind of trying to tie this to NAVDA to see if that's something they tested. Because um, I know certain field trials, and, and I don't know anything about NAVDA, they they would like do things that I personally would not want in my hunting dog. So we went, you know, through uh, a couple weeks of training and, and got Duke where he was solid, and I was very comfortable that he was not going to break, uh, you know, on the gunshot until I gave him a command. And... You know, it, it, it was it was quick and easy to do, just holding a check cord and, and, and using an e-caller if I needed to. A lot of times I didn't even need to. It was just like the beep, and he kind of knew what that meant. Um, and we'll have a whole other podcast on e-callers. But it was something we had to keep doing for like a week just so he kind of ingrained it and knew, okay, this is something I can't, I can't leave when I'm on point until he gives me the command. So we got that going, and of course everything worked great for the season. And then the summer came around; he didn't really hunt. And I remember pheasant hunting the following year, and a bird going out, and me clipping it, and him taking off. Of course, you know he totally forgot everything from the year before as far as uh, the hold on the point. And he told, and he took off, and he was running that pheasant down while it was still flying, and recovered it. And brought it back. And so, that brings me to this question. Is that something they test? And do you guys, what do you guys think? Do you guys like them breaking on the gunshot? Or do you uh, prefer having them hold? Because after that day, I kind of like questioned it. I'm like, you know what? I don't really care if he goes after the gunshot. Now, I totally get pre-gunshot. That is, you know, not just a safety issue. But I don't want him busting out after the bird before anyone shoots uh, and kind of jumping out there. After the gunshots, I don't really... After that day, I kind of, like, really didn't care. I stopped pressing it. I'm like, "Ah, you know what? If he breaks after the gunshot, I don't care. So, wanted to kind of get your opinions on that and is that something that NAVDA tests? Are they supposed to hold after the gunshot until command or is that something they score on?
1: Um, NAVDA, for N.A., not at all. All, all. all the NA tests are doing is they have the natural ability to point. Now, the UT is when you bring obedience in. And, and you're talking the, the two very different things there is pointing a bird is in a dog's genetics and DNA. That's just what they do naturally. And it's kind of a little bit of obedience, but more just like helping that deal, DNA along to keep them pointing until the bird flushes. Um, So there's the flush. Most of my dogs I've ever had go off on the flush despite my best efforts. Um, It's easier to wait until the gunshot than it is to wait until the command. So, So each one is just another higher level of training and in the UT test, yes, they do require the dog to point and hold point until the command. And there's a lot of good reasons for it. Um, number one, it's just a safety issue. I mean, the dog's not out in front of you while you're shooting. Number two, the, it, it shows how much cooperation and obedience, what, what level your dog is at. And, you know, I maybe Duke's a better dog than I give him credit for because you saying just holding the leash there and steadying him up and shooting and doing that for like a week caused him to be steady because, I mean, that's not the experience that I've had with any of my dogs or heard of anybody steadying the dog up in a week.
0: Well, you were, um, you were with me in your fields with the quail when we were working that.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, I, I could say that you could go out. You can take a dog that points them, hold the check cord, shoot, and then t- and teach them to woe by, you know, a pressure collar or whatever you have after the shot until the command in the training session in a week. But it's a whole different story, I think, to take that dog out hunting every time and have him point. The, the bird's flying, you shoot, and he's just still sitting there waiting for the command that that's a that's a year process in my mind unless you have some type of super dog that that um just just gets it and I go through trainings like you wouldn't believe here I, I have these homing pigeons I put them I put the dogs on my uh, training table hook them to a the post shoot the the pheasant out just by my hand fire a shot off. You know, and ev- almost every time, if I don't have the collar on them for the first two months, they're trying to take off on the table. So, I mean, it for me, it was it, it's still very hard. I don't, I don't I don't have any of them completely steadied up, but I and I've been working at it for a year for with Annie. You know, and she's still not steadied up.
0: Yeah. So, so to rephrase, yes. Yeah, so in the training environment, it took about a week where he would do it every time but it was an ongoing process after that and i would say for sure in a hunting situation the first bird that we saw for the day it was not happening but after that he would hold until i gave him a command but that first bird, well, he was so did amped you correct
1: up. Did you correct him on the first bird? Absolutely.
0: I'm not, you know, okay. I something we trained, I would correct him, and that was it. Yeah. Second bird, totally fine. Third bird, totally fine. So, yeah, it's not, I think, to get it perfect every time, yes, you got to be working with that dog nonstop. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. For it to be completely flawless. For the doing problem what
1: I run into, if I take him hunting, I'm hunting with three buddies or whatever, and... They're not necessarily worried about what my dog's doing or whatever. So if the dog even like breaks point and the bird goes up, they're all blasting, which is what I would ex- I wouldn't expect them to hold off because my dog broke point and everybody's surrounding the bird. They want to get the bird, and then that's just reinforcing bad habits, and that's why I, I always <laughs> struggle with the hunting the hunting versus training thing, but.
0: Yeah, and I got lucky there, because I, I don't know, like, Duke would not break point until, um, you know, he wouldn't break point and go after the birds unless it was, like, a dead bird or something like that. Now, mm-hmm. there were times where I would not flush the bird, and I would tell him like dead bird or go find it to try to get him to break point and actually flush the bird. Cause I'm like, dude, there's no bird here. I have kicked every piece of brush. There's nothing you're out of your mind. And wouldn't you know it? Like he's would not break point. And I knew I'm like, something is here and I got to find it. And half the time it'd be like a woodcock just holding extremely tight and then just busting out right in front of me, you know, five feet in front of the dog. Um, but, from a gunshot standpoint, you know i i wouldn't if if he broke on the flush, I would correct him immediately, but that didn't happen all that often and on the gunshot, I only you know really cared about it for that one season when we were doing the bird dog challenge, and after that i kind of I kind of dropped it but yeah, if it was uh something I wanted perfect all the time, then I would absolutely you know be correcting him all the time and work with him a whole lot more.
1: I don't remember that being a part of the bird dog challenge I didn't well i when we went to our first, they had to stay,
0: yeah, when we went to our first one, we didn't know, and so I just did that to be prepared if it was points
1: uh, after okay. our first one I don't think it was it wasn't,
0: yeah, after our first one th- that's the only reason why I even cared. I thought it was like <laughs> points like for the competition after we found out it was not and yeah.
1: it was just like I
0: was like, ah, oh, who cares, no, you
1: know? but I think the other points that you're forgetting though was, uh, you had, once you shot, you weren't allowed to move and the dog had to go get the bird and bring it back to you without taking a step.
0: Oh, that's true. Yep.
1: So yeah, that's the other thing. That's the way some of these, like, um, with Clint and and I'll reiterate, reiterate what I said in podcast one about wild birds training a dog. Like you said, you got lucky with Duke. And I don't know if it's lucky or he was on enough wild birds, just like Clint was, where they never, ever broke point. Um, Because if they did, they'd flush the grouse. And then they learned just, you know, for the first two years, that's what happens. I got four plaques on the wall beating highly, highly trained dogs by big dog trainers from my dog, Clint, that... I didn't hardly do any training with him except I grouse on him fifty days a year, and he just knew, you know, where how to pin birds down, when to move, when not to move, and um, I mean that's that's just really the way to do it. But it's also a hell of a lot of fun doing what I do, training a dog for NABDA because you can do it in the middle of July, and when you have time, and the dog's getting more attention,
0: and not to mention there's not many wild birds around anyway yeah there's uh, none carlos you had a pretty uh what's your thought on the hold point to the commander to the gunshot and 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 then i want to swing back to garrett because he never really answered what you do or what you care about i know what Navda does but what about for hunting
2: i mean for a hunting application you know i i had uh, flushing dogs and i've had pointing dogs um it's a double-edged short. I, sometimes I, I want my dog to stay um, but other times I want him to go you know as soon as that gunshot goes off um, and what I'm doing now with uh, Nike is he stays there until that gunshot goes off and I want him you know running after that bird but you know he's so obedient that I'll say no bird and he'll just turn around and come right back to me um, whereas I had my other German short hair, garrett uh that was his name and that bird went up and he was chasing it and the only way to get him back was to lift him off his feet with a shock collar and even then he he'd try to fight through it i think again it all depends on the dog and it depends what you want to do with him um i think the dog i have now is so obedient that uh if i opted to have him hold steady to wing which for hunting application i i could care less i want them i want them on that burden and, and if there's no bird i want to call it back um i think it all depends on the dog you know and what what you're trying to accomplish with the dog but personally um i could go either way on it um i, I recently just hunted over a another flushing dog it was a boy blinking spaniel uh, my buddy has it and um it was pretty cool to hunt over that dog uh, you know, you, it's, it's a faster pace hunt. You got to stay with the dog. A uh, bird goes up and, you know, you got to kill it. If not that bird, that dog's chasing that bird or he's blowing out another bird. Um, so it, it all depends what you want to do. Um, so I've had good experiences and bad experiences. So,
0: yeah, you had, you had, uh, one guy like clip your dog, right?
2: Like yeah, but pellet? that, the, yes, that was a Garrett. Um that dog, no matter what I did, he wanted to elevate after the bird. He wouldn't he wouldn't flush the bird. If I flushed a bird or he got in close and that bird went up, he no matter what I did, I mean I tried staking him down, I tried holding him down, that bird went up, he was jumping right behind it. Um and he never he never snagged one out of the air because the delay was such, it was such a, a lag between When the bird got up and his reaction to jump out of it, the the bird was up ready. So my rule of thumb was when I hunted with guys, I said, you are not allowed to shoot a bird until it's over your head. Meaning the average guy who I hunted with was between five, 10 and six foot dog is not jumping that high. Dog was only jumping maybe, you know, four feet in the air with all four legs off the, the ground. Um, And there was this one Portuguese fellow at public land over here in Clinton that I was hunting with um, because it was a two bird limit and the dog would find them quick. And I just wanted to, you know, these are chickens basically that they put out in the field. So I didn't want my hour drive to turn into a 10 minute hunt. So the guy asked me if he could hunt over me and I told him the rules. The bird is not shot until it's over your head. Okay. First point the dog goes on point bird goes up delayed reaction dogs up behind them bang he shoots pattern opens up drives one pellet over its cranium out between his eyes dog yelps turns around is gone. and i find him up underneath the car bleeding you know from his face um luckily enough the vet that i use her husband raises german uh short hairs and he's a hunter as well and he's a vet as well she looked at him she patched him up and she said go get him out on a bird so he's not gun shy. And that's exactly what I did. And there was never an issue with the dog. Um, so those are all things that,
0: yeah, that's what comes to my mind when I think about Mm -hmm. a dog holding on point. It's situations like that, Mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, that's why I'm slightly, I I care a little bit less as long as they hold to the gunshot. And, uh, you know, from from moving from the northeast down to Louisiana, and you know, hunting, going from upland to waterfowl, you know, I had to work on Duke to just not move until there was a gunshot. Otherwise, every time there was a flock of ducks circling, you know, he'd be diving in the water. So,
1: uh, that's well, kinda...
2: again, I also think that depends on the the handler and the dog because there's a a, a gentleman who uh, we hunted with that has. One of those, they call him, I think, a Deutsch Decor or whatever the damn name is. It's a a wired haired German short-haired pointer. That's (laughs) Roth Yeah. Roth So he spends all this money on this damn dog, and there's literally 20 damn wood ducks over our head circling, and he's telling me how great this dog is and how it holds and this, that, the other thing. Well, those dogs, those birds hit the water, the dog yelps, loses its mind, and blows them all out before we could even shoot them. And then the dog decided that it was going to lose its mind. It was going to run up and down the hillsides of my house, chasing every deer in, in, in the county. So, uh, I think... <laughs> well, that's the <laughs> <my> trainer's <laughs> fault, not the dog's yeah. fault. That sounds like a <laughs> <Exactly>. good dog. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's why I said it, it, it's a, it's a fine balance between the dog and, and the trainer. Uh, and, and he took it to a very reputable trainer. I mean, it was... Uh, some guy uh, up in Hudson Farms, and he spent like four grand on training sessions and this and that. And uh, needless to say, the the dog has made very few appearances. The last couple times we've hunted, <laughs> oh so, uh, yeah, that's I, on, I, I, uh, I know yeah, who you're I, talking about. That that's mm-hmm. on him because if you ask yeah.
0: him how much he works with the dog, I mm-hmm. think ever since he got him back from that trainer, there hasn't been. Uh, Right. many many training sessions at least from what uh what he described right. to me and that's yeah. you know the the dog is a direct reflection of his trainer
2: <laughs> yep and, and that's what i'm trying to get at you know what i mean it's it's what you want what you want in the in the product because um look i i think you could take a mediocre dog and turn them into a superstar and you could have an outstanding superstar dog and, and turn them into something that could just lay around your house and you know Mm -hmm. fetch toys for you um but i i think it's what you want to invest into it you know and i think no matter what dog you have if you care about it you could bring them up to that next level whatever that level is whatever you want it to reach but it takes time effort and repetition so you know it's what you want to do Yeah, repetition,
0: repetition, repetition for sure. Lots of birds. I mean, uh,
2: quality, quality repetition. (laughs) Not, not just, you know, it's just like how we talk about archery, you know, it's quality shot executions. I think it's quality training sessions. You know, they could be short lived, but if they're quality, the dog's going to gain a ton of wealth from it, a ton of knowledge. So that's, uh, that's my feeling.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, Garrett and I, uh, you know going back to with duke trying to hold point, i mean i bet you if i worked with them all throughout the year and all through the summer he probably would get it down pretty well and, and, and wouldn't uh break all that often but i didn't do the repetition now once i figured out it wasn't really something that they scored on i no longer cared after that first competition and obviously after uh a couple weeks of, uh, of not really doing the repetition and, and continuing to work them. Well, you know, he, he no longer cared. And when I didn't correct him, then he figured, oh, I can get away with this. So who cares? I'm going after the gunshot. So same yeah. kind of thing. He sends his dog to a trainer and then doesn't repeat or work that you know, yeah. over and over with the dog, you know, well, the dog's going to kind of take advantage of the situation and be like, oh, well, sure. I, can, I can do this with this guy, and he doesn't really correct me, so I'm going to continue to yeah. do more and more and more until, you know, the dog's hunting for himself and he does his own thing and jumps in the water before the ducks get in, you know? That's uh, sure. that's how it works.
1: Yep. Well, I'd have to say, well, you're talking about ducks and uplands, two very different things. I mean... At, at no point would it be ever acceptable for a dog to move why ducks are flying around.
0: Two totally different things, but I think yeah, it also— Yeah, so
1: I'm just—like, I'm, I'm, I'm just confused on the two. You're your combining no, but what I'm trying
2: what, what I'm trying to say is that, that there was no—the obedience part of it, meaning the structured obedience part of it, because when you tell your dog to stay, he should stay. And now it's up to you whether you want to decide after you tell the dog to stay, whether you want him to get that that picture in his memory. Okay, I tell you to stay, the bird goes up, and you only move when the gun goes bang. Well, the dog that I have now, he's very obedient. And to me, I could go up, kick the bird as soon as that gun goes bang, even if I miss the bird, the dog is in tune with me. And I could say no bird, and he instantly whips around, comes back, and starts hunting all over again. That's what I was getting at as far as the obedience and what you're trying to get out of the dog. Yeah,
1: well, yes, but as far as training goes, it's it's a lot more involved oh, yeah. to train a dog with a bird in front of its nose and has been looking for that bird for a while. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I, I don't really link the two. I mean, it, they're kind of linked, but, I mean, as far as waterfowl hunting, you just... Yes. Train your dog to heal or to stay with you in the blind until either shots are fired or you give them a command. It's pretty, pretty exactly. common. Exactly. And, that's the, and up, that's, that's the upland thing. They're pointing and then they're not allowed to move until you give them a release or gunshot or, well, they call it three different things in NABDA. There's wing, shot, and fall. So, you know, wing is obviously when a bird flushes, dog's going. And I'm going to say 90% of the time, that's what pointing dogs are trained to. And I'm, I'm pretty okay with that. I mean, because the amount of work that goes into training them to shot is a lot. And like you said, Bob, you have to keep reiterating that. And it's a lot of work every year almost to get them to that point. And even more work to get them to shooting the word the falls, and then you give him a command to go. But given my choice of any of those, I would all day long take the command. Like, I think the positives way outweigh the small few times whenever the dog isn't going. I mean, if he's not going, he should be watching, right? So he's probably not going to watch it the whole way, even if he is going, and then he'll have the scent to rely on or the the rest of the find. But um yeah, so that's that's my two cents. If I'm training a dog, I'm going to just make sure the dog holds until the bird's flushed. If I'm just doing a hunting dog, I'm I'm okay with that. If I have the time, I'd love it to stay until I shoot. And if I have a lot of time and I'm gonna go to a nav test, I'm gonna train him the whole way through. But that's a pain in the ass. It, it's awfully nice to have that higher level of training.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of time, but I also think um, I think a little bit of it you can get lucky with the right dog with the right personality as well. It might be a little bit easier,
1: you know. Well, yeah, it's that balance, like we talked earlier about desire and cooperation. Okay, you want you want the desire, but like uh, Carlos was saying about his dog Garrett, it seemed like he had a hell of a lot more desire than cooperation.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, and it also depended his mood on that day, yeah, you know, yeah. and and what he wanted to get accomplished. I, but uh,
0: I know, Kara, did you ever hunt with my dad's English Setter, Rocky?
1: Yeah, one time when he was like thirteen. Oh, okay, when he was old. Yeah,
0: because he was one of those dogs where you would he would point, flush, and shoot, and he would just sit there and look at you and wait for the command. You know, but that was oh, like yeah. his, that was like his personality. You know what I mean? He was like a very yeah. Uh, like, not high-strung dog. Like, very mellow, methodical, and literally, like, you'd shoot and you'd look at the dog and he's just staring at you, waiting for you to give him the command. You know what I mean? That's just kind of how he was. I don't, you know, I think it's... Yeah, very uh, a very laid-back dog. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah. that that's that was an I
1: English mean. setter, you said?
0: That was an English setter, yeah.
1: I'm half wondering if I should switch out of these damn pointing dogs, because it seems so much easier to just go with a setter or some, something that flushes and then when they flush the bird you're not mad.
0: Nah, the setter's a pointing dog.
1: Yeah, yeah. You're oh, about the really? Spaniel? Or...
0: Yeah, Eng- English setter? Yeah, they're, they're straight up pointers, man. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, you're right. I. You thinking I'll like tell a you a thing. I, I get
1: outside my breeds and I don't, I don't
2: know too much. I'll tell you but... one thing. I hunted over that that Boinking Spaniel and it was uh, it was pretty impressive to see that dog work. You know, that they call it the little, little dog that doesn't rock the boat because it's an upland and a uh, waterfowl bird. But, um, things low profile built like a tank. And, uh, you know, maybe that'll be a breed I experiment with later on, uh, you know, as the dogs get older because it's, uh, it's very simple to train, but I like the fact that the dog has high drive and a little bit of a black heart. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I could de- I could deal with black-hearted dogs. Uh, <laughs> the ones that are too obedient, uh, they're just they're not as fun to train. So, uh, in my opinion, but
0: All right, fellas, we are we are coming over an hour already. We're we're way past an hour, so let's go ahead and get this wrapped up. Um I don't really have a concluder. My concluder is really a question for Garrett because I wanted to ask him about this and I and I forgot. How is the brocco in water? How does Annie do in water? Cause I don't know anything um, about them. She she uh, she comfortable with it? Like retrieves with the bunkers or the bumpers and all that. She's fine, or is are they a little timid in the water?
1: In Annie's good, um, and I say good, not great. If there's a if it's a nice like everything's peachy that day, she will retrieve every bumper I throw up to like five maybe. Um, but it's not like she just can't stay out of it. Like I've seen some dogs, um, and Broncos are known to be weaker in the water in general. There are a lot of Broncos out there that aren't NAB to because they won't swim. Okay. If you throw a bird in, you could get her to go retrieve a bird 40 times easy. And she'd never stop because she has a very high bird drive. And that's how I got her to swim. We could do a whole podcast on that. Some people say you should never throw a bird in because then they'll never go retrieve a bumper if they know there's only a bird and they don't really like water. But it, it worked opposite for her. It, she's she's good. Um, not as good as the Poodle Pointer, I don't think, or the her in the water. But for Broncos, she's on the upper level. Gotcha.
0: All right, yeah, i was just curious about that. That's... Uh i'm I'm looking forward to hunting with her i'm looking forward to seeing her in action because i'm i'm intrigued by the dog and i'm uh excited to to see her out in the field so that is my concluder you guys got anything you want to end on
1: Mm-mm. no there's it's too broad of a subject let's just yeah. end her
0: all right guys well right. have a good night thanks for joining and uh thanks everyone for listening if you, as usual if you got any questions you can email us at huntfishbums at gmail.com uh, we'll put some videos up uh, some of the dogs and uh, Carlos's turkey hunt on uh, on our instagram page at huntfishbums bums on on Instagram you can find us on there and feel free to uh, reach out to us uh, on Facebook. Some of you guys found us on Facebook so if you want to reach out to us that way as well that's uh, that's totally fine. But uh, thanks for listening, and everyone have a good night.